0: In this episode, Ian, Scott, and I talk about the definition of a startup and discuss Steve Blank's lessons learned in his search versus execution blog post. Welcome to the Business Design Podcast, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs design and build businesses that succeed on their own, even if you take a six-month vacation. We're your hosts, Ian, John, and Scott, and we're here to share the successes and pitfalls of many entrepreneurs like you Equip you to make daily progress in your business. So, what's new for you guys, Scott?
1: Yeah, this week um, we had a bunch of calls come into our sales department from people looking for hazard communication training. That's a new training we launched maybe six months ago, and we really oh. didn't see a whole lot happen with it. And all of a sudden, just the other day, we started getting a bunch of phone calls. Really? What? Why is?
0: Why are you getting more calls for that?
1: So. What happened is the OSHA, which is this this body that regulates the training, they just made a bunch of changes to the hazard communication standard, and Mm -hmm. companies are supposed to get retrained by December 1st. Well, we didn't see a whole lot at first, and I think people are starting to see that that deadline is coming up and they better figure this out. So you've been like just neck deep in that the whole week or what's anything else that you've been working on? Yeah, so so I've been spending the past couple of days really trying to figure out how do I advertise this, what's the right way to get out to people, making yeah. some Google ads, things like that. Okay. So just really focusing on that and spending some time making a new landing page, that sort of thing. Is um, that pretty common for
2: you guys when you get a new training or a new product like that for to, to get a lot of calls primarily, more so than sort of just the, the web interaction?
1: Yeah, not as much. Um, this one was, I think, a little special because of that deadline. So this is the first time we've really seen that where all of a sudden calls just start coming in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's been interesting. Um, we've also been looking at making some new landing pages for some of our other sites too and really focusing on that. So if we can get that conversion rate up, then that's just direct money. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, anything that you're like kind of facing that are like something hard or difficulty or obstacle you're facing right now this week? Yeah, I mean, I guess whenever you do a landing page test, there's some frustration that comes with that when you do something that you're just sure is going to work, it has to work, it looks so much better, (laughs) and then you put it out there, and at best, it's a marginal increase, and then Uh it's a decrease, and in the end, you really don't see a clear winner. So we're hoping, Mm -hmm. really hoping, the one we launched yesterday will actually show us something meaningful. Yeah. I want. I want to dive into it right right now. Like, ask like,
0: so how many people you got on this page going yeah. in here? How many people are you dra- you know directing there? Like, how many thousands of people and all these details about this SCM stuff? But we'll hold that for another another talk or another show. Cool. So, what, what's your goal for the weekend? What you what are you thinking? Over this next cu- upcoming week, what are some of your goals?
1: Yep, so hoping to get the hazard communication advertising working on Google. <laughs> so we're, we're getting clicks right now, but not getting a whole lot of purchases through that ad campaign. So I'm going to be tweaking that pretty heavily over the next week, trying to figure that one out. Um, and then really just iterating on that uh, Pro-CPR landing page, see if we can't make that thing perform a lot better than the old one. So far, things are looking good, but yeah. it's only been a day, so yeah. I can't really say that. Oh, wow, that's cool. Awesome. Awesome.
2: Ping Ian. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been a busy week. I feel like I haven't quite gotten to some of the goals that I talked about last week, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, We did did bring on, we did get one of our sales team members, new sales team members up to speed. And so that was good. Um, That felt like progress. Actually, the big thing for us this week is we were working on a new feature for uh, the product, uh, a blog feature, um, adding that in. And... That's been really—it's been really fun to have our hands back in the product again. And one of the things that it kind of reminded me of was that, you know, as much as I—I'm appreciating the the sales and marketing end of it and, and getting traction there, um, there's just nothing like building. <laughs> and as a as a technical person, you know, having my hands back in the product and doing some building and it felt really good. So uh, we're really hopeful that um, we'll have that new feature in place. Within about a week, um, we're really, really making some good headway on that. So I think that'll be really useful both from a feature standpoint, but also just because it'll give us an excuse to do some more marketing. We'll get to do a press release and we'll get to do some, um, you know, some email blasts about that. And it's something that people have been asking for. So I'm looking forward to getting that rolled out. Um, so that's kind, of my, that's kind of what I've been working on. Uh, it hasn't been too frustrating a week, really. It's just been busy awesome it's been pretty good it's but helpful. i think yeah that's and that's my plan for the week so how about you john what do you what do you got going on so uh <laughs> this past week has been all
0: about the podcast honestly <laughs> this has been a a little bit too too much of a it's been an easy distraction for me because mm-hmm. uh it's been a lot of fun uh, It's something that you know we've been thinking about for a long time and trying to, to work on it so i went crazy on our SOPs and just this past couple, you know, <laughs> you guys are probably <laughs> shaking your head right there. It's like <laughs> podcast <process Yeah>. therapy, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's what it was. For John, just needed a little distraction here and there. Um, yeah. but but other than that, I mean, I've, I've been a little busy because my wife's been working um, really early, going to work really early, and staying really late. So, trying to balance that with the kids, and just overall, those things have been really, really uh, kind of taking and distracting me. But the thing I've been mostly focusing on this week is really upping our SEM campaigns and working on having exact title matches for both authors um, and also for titles and then combination of a title plus an author. So just to remind everybody, I mean, Goodberry is essentially a century of bookstore, so, so we're, we're saying like how do we advertise um, on some of these keywords and, you know, one of our biggest problems is that click-through rates are not great, uh, conversion rates are not great, <laughs> profit margins are not great so it's it's one of the hardest challenges right now an unknown problem that we we're, we're just really banging our head and we're trying to figure out how to make that work and so yeah.
1: Yeah I know you just imported a lot of keywords when I was looking yep. over your shoulder the other day John. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm curious how that's going if you've gotten many clicks out of those. Yeah, yeah.
0: so uh, you know we what we did was essentially wrote some scripts and we generated all these exact keywords and ad groups and um, and, and all the, the ads themselves and imported them through uh, the AdWords editor and it's been Overall, the process has been really smooth, and mm-hmm. it's been a lot of fun. Um, really excited about like this opportunity and seeing how it's going to perform. You know, essentially, it's a long term. I'm sorry, a, a long tail. Um, you know, kind of strategy where we're looking for, you know, not specifically the most popular ones, but that's some something on a breadth and covering, encompassing these obscure titles that maybe maybe only ten people are searching per month. But if we can get, you know, some of them to come to our site and then convert, then that's that's going to be great. Um, we I mean, we know that none of our competitors are have have imported that quantity of, of, uh, of keywords. So we imported, I think, close to 30,000 um, ad groups and a few keywords per and also ads to go along with it. And then having them go to uh, direct to the landing pages on our website for each of those products. It's been... It's been pretty um, honestly lackluster, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. It's not like we're like we turned on and all of a sudden. We are getting like you know hundreds of conversions a day, but um, you know it just, it's been interesting seeing people's behavior. Then we're mm-hmm. we're starting to understand like what type of things people are clicking through more and um, what things are getting more impressions. So even what kind of keywords to be looking for. Yeah.
1: I, I feel so like it. that's that's a big thing when you're first starting a campaign like that. It's yeah. just figuring out what people are doing. It's a yep. learning process, yeah, sometimes I'm, an expensive one. But.
0: Well, so Scott told me, I think, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Google had told you that it's going to take you about $10,000 to really, really learn and, and set up a proper keyword campaign, um, AdWords campaign. And, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get there. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's kind of where we are right now. Um, yeah, but overall, that's kind of my biggest challenge. It's, it's really about customer acquisition. How do we get the right people in the door so we can get conversions and then um, really be cash flow and profitable that way? So um, it's a big channel. Uh, we we still, I'm hoping, but I'm not so confident SCM is going to be our primary thing. Yeah. So that's something to talk about next week and how yeah. we're transitioning to So this week we're going to be starting about the definition of startups. And uh, each of us, we've been really influenced by Eric Reese and Steve Blank and their customer development and lean startup methodologies. And so today we wanted to talk a little bit about what is our understanding, like what does it mean to be a startup? And We specifically wanted to cover the points on uh, so about six points from the lessons learned section from Steve Blank's post. It's from March 2012, uh, it's titled search versus execute. Okay. So first thing I did was. As we were doing some research, I went to Wikipedia and I searched, um, actually I went to Google and I searched definition of a startup and I typed it in there. So Wikipedia came up and I was like, oh great, so I clicked on that and then this is what Wikipedia said. A startup company or a startup startup is a company, a partnership or temporary organization designed to search for repeatable and scalable business model and then I, and then I clicked on the reference to see where that came from. So I was like, oh that's a great definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny thing is, it it's, uh, led us to Steve Blank's website, so I was <laughs> like, okay, great, okay, it's the official one now. <laughs> exactly. So Steve Blank, I think, has definitely been influential in helping, uh, I think, our industry define what a startup is. And but, I think we come from a different perspective. It's not that we have, uh, we're, we're doing, we don't dis- we don't disagree necessarily with the definition of a startup, but. I think our Midwestern sensibilities as well as our experiences is, is not necessarily something that, um, that you'd see in an East or West Coast, kind of a Silicon Valley style startup. Mm-hmm. So I think today part of our discussion, I'd love to hear from you guys, is what your definitions are and how it's different f-
2: from the West Coast, Silicon Valley definition of a startup. Yeah, that's something that really jumped out to me is that I think that we when we got into the, the startup thing, you know, we had we all I think had different goals kind of in mind, but they're they're similar in, in terms of lifestyle and they're similar in terms of what we see ourselves doing for the long haul. And it's not just a it's not just about an exit, it's not just about yep. you know, um, you know, making a killing or, you know, something like that. These are there are very specific sort of lifestyle things we're after. That might be one of the ways that it sort of differs from a traditional and you kind of mentioned the Midwest thing. That kind of looks a little bit different for us than, than it would if you were in Silicon Valley or something. So Yeah.
0: So, I mean, so I also want to kind of share another definition. Um, this is the definition I was thinking of because I've been more, um, in many ways, uh, influenced by Eric Reese's startup, uh, Lean Startup book. And his definition in his book, he writes, a startup is a human institution designed to deliver a new product or service under the conditions of
2: extreme uncertainty. So there's a lot, there's a lot packed into those those two definitions, both Steve's and Eric's. Um, you know, you've got Steve talking about uh, a temporary organization, you know, that's searching for something. You've got Eric talking about this concept of a human institution, and I know both of them go into great length to to talk about that. But I I only bring it up just because there's a lot to unpack, and you could kind of miss it if you if you're not familiar with with what it actually, what all those terms are all about. So. I think Steve actually has, that, has a really good post where he breaks a lot of this down. Um, so uh,
0: let's start out with the first one. The first point that he makes is the search for the business model is the front end of the startup process. And uh, so let's unpack that. What does that mean? What does Steve mean by that, right? Um, so
1: you guys want to jump in, Scott? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that really resonated with me. When I started my business, the whole lean startup uh, movement really didn't exist yet. Um, but Steve had any in your room. Exactly, right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we were kind of flying by the sea of our pants and just trying to figure things out. But, but I think that it's really true. I mean, when you're first starting a business and trying to figure out... Um, Who's going to buy this? You're you're looking for that business model, whether you realize that's what you're looking for or not. You're trying to figure out how to build your product in a way that people are going to want to buy it. Um, And so whether that's talking to other people who are in the industry, which we did quite a bit of that Mm -hmm. early on, just trying to figure out, is this thing we're trying to build something that people would buy? So we talked to other paramedics and EMTs. And I mean, my co-founder was a paramedic, and he had taught classroom CPR classes. So I mean, that was our version of, of customer development at that point. Right. I mean,
0: I think just like the title of his blog post says, it's really Steve Blank is saying that there's a two phases to a company in um, you know, as it transitions from a startup to becoming more of a company per se. Um, it's not that a startup is not a company per se, but it starts out with searching for a business model, and then you ex you you transition to once you have discovered the business model, you transition to executing the business model, and so. I think he's emphasized the fact that we fundamentally whether you go to business school or you go to get your MBA mm-hmm. you know until now everybody's been talking about you know business is all about execution 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 when, when and Steve blank has been you know phenomenal in the sense that he's saying you need to get out of the building you have to do customer development because you don't know what you're necessarily what the what the formula is going to be for a successful business model business, a business model you can find right so I mean, the fact that the stuff that you've done those things are definitely things that we need to do in the beginning stages of your company or your product which is to say it's not about executing or improving your efficiencies or you know claim that you know what the business model is mm-hmm. just saying that i don't know we this is a hypothesis
2: mm-hmm. this, we think this is going to make us money this is a great idea Let's try it out. I think that's that's one thing that I really like about it. It's sort of really fascinating about the startup cycle is that there's nothing that's sacred. And you have to get past whatever sacred cow you might have, you know, whatever that thing is that you're holding on to that you've tied personally to the thing that you're building. Yeah. And you have to be really willing to put that on the table and let it go. Yeah. And, yeah. and and Steve really emphasized that as he talks about, you know, customer development and that sort of rapid iteration cycle and all that stuff is, you know, you, you just can't come in and personalize it too much. I and mean, you have to say, this is the idea, it's a hypothesis, but might have to throw it out.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that I've kind of seen is that, especially as a bootstrapping business with just a few of us running it, trying to figure out um, how to make it successful, that it's, I think, a little bit more natural maybe uh, to go through some of the the steps of the Lean Startup methodology and to be really in search of that business model. Whereas I think if you're... Uh, funded company maybe you haven't heard this before there might be a little bit uh, more of a temptation maybe to put more process in place mm-hmm. and you know hire salespeople, hire uh, these different positions before you really know what your model is but yeah. when you're when you're small enough you really don't have that luxury <laughs> so it, it kind of forces you into mm-hmm. that yeah you, you definitely have to be very resourceful and in many ways people I think
0: who come out of large companies who've always been in managerial, have Mm -hmm. led large business units, they tend to be horrible entrepreneurs because they don't fundamentally realize that it's not about the processes that are important in the beginning, it's about, and it's not about lucky even, right? So people sometimes even think that, you know, business, you have this grand idea, and the idea itself is what what really is the engine behind it. It's really not, it's really the fact that even if you have a great idea, most likely it doesn't exactly fit the needs or the, the, it doesn't deliver the values that the customers are looking for exactly. And so you do need to tweak it or what they call pivot in, in many different ways. Um, and so we, we need to really figure out is, as we're starting out in Bootstrappers, we almost are lucky in that way because it forces us to say, I can't survive unless I get paying customers and, you know, and kind of move forward that way. But it's definitely been true in my experience. The second point that Steve makes is that, you know this this need for searching, um, in as part of the startup uh, process or the definition of a startup, the searching uh, for a business model is true for whether it's a small company or whether it's a larger company with a ton of VC money that's been backed, or it's a new um, uh, product division within a large company where you're tasked with coming up with a new service or a new product. Uh, in the beginning, it's not about accounting for how much revenue you have how efficient your processes are, but it's all about whether you get, and this is a term I'm gonna throw in there, product market fit. It's how, whether or not you can essentially match up the needs of the customers with a product or a value that you can deliver, and there's a match there in the, in the market there. So, um, has that been true for you guys in terms of seeing that in, in other, not, not just in your, your experiences, but you've seen some of your customers or other things like that where this has been true across the board and how uh, this, there's a searching phase and then there's a execution phase
1: yeah I think it's easy when you're you're first starting a company to be so sure that what you're going to do is is going to work because you you are just you're just so sold on it that you're you're going in and you're going to do it and you, you might not want to listen to what your customers actually have to say That's like your it's, marketing example from earlier it is, yeah we were Should sure be. that the way we had it was right no it wasn't right, <laughs> right.
2: So I think I think the other thing that he talks about is is this idea of you know okay so you've, you've got you've got some hypotheses you're trying to validate some of that stuff um, and then you know you're you're trying to find something that you can repeat uh, without too much difficulty you know that it still makes economic sense um, and then you can scale and and then later on actually do you know the execution of those two things so it's 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 finding something that is both repeatable and scalable. You know, having things in your process or having business model in mind that has things that can be automated, and not necessarily by a machine, necessarily or by a robot, but you know, maybe it's just you know, procedures and systems. We talk about the standard operating procedure and those kinds of things that help you sort of automate some of that stuff. Unless you can find some of that stuff. and I know Steve talks a lot about that, um, it's difficult to find out you know, how to scale it. I'm sure that's probably true for you Scott a little bit in your business. like you guys have found like you know when you launch a product or something, there are certain things that make it very repeatable.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um, one thing that I wanted to throw out there too, and I don't know if you guys have read this article by Paul Graham. Um, it looks like it was he wrote it in July of this year. It's called Do things that Don't Scale. And the point of his article, I think, was that, early on when you're still in that searching phase, that you shouldn't be too caught up in doing things that only scale, that if if you're too obsessed with that, um, that it might actually cause you to do some things that aren't wise and might hinder some of your learning. So I think that's important to keep in mind too, and that's something Mm -hmm. that we've seen that a lot of times when we're um, first launching a product and trying to figure things out about it, we do things that we know that right now the way we're doing it is not scalable. Now, in the future, we do need to figure out okay, how, how do we actually ramp this up so we can make it work at scale and not have to hire a huge yeah. staff or you know have it be something you that's overwhelming. room, yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. Kind of makes me wonder if for a lot of freelancers or people who are doing consulting. You know, sure, there are a lot of companies that have built that into a large business, and 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 that's great, but. I think the definition of a startup in many ways is this potential of finding a business model, some system or formula where if you put in a dollar, you get $2 out, and you can put in you know, a certain amount of dollars, and the, the amount of money that comes out at the end of it can actually grow um, to a large degree. So, I know when we started, when I, when I, used to, when I started out doing consulting years ago, you know in our first couple of years, we were making our first year I mean, we made like100,000 dollars with two of us, and that was, we were ecstatic about that. But we quickly hit a limit every time we wanted to increase the amount of money. Well, you either could charge more, certainly, or you could hire more people, but nonetheless, that scalability and repeatability, uh, there were some things about that that was really difficult. Uh, to do and that so therefore I wouldn't consider most consulting firms or freelancers startups uh, mm-hmm. The definition in terms of a startup is definitely a company that has a business model It has some ability down the road to potentially automate this and make it repeatable And uh, That's that's been my experience, and I really resonated with that as well That you know definitely look for that however This is my Midwest sensibility, perhaps, (laughs) and the kind of the slowness, slowness of pace, and my desire to bootstrap companies, and to, you know, um, just really work on companies that feel right to me, um, is that I I'm not so concerned about scaling it beyond a certain point, right? So, you know, if you're in Silicon Valley, and once you get investor, it doesn't matter if you're in Silicon Valley or not. Once you get a VC or an angel, somebody who wants who gives you money. You essentially have promised them to return, to give them a 5x or a 10x return mm-hmm. on their money that they put into you, which forces you to do things that scale, that is supposed to make you scale more. And we know as, as sole proprietors or without outside investments or shareholders that some of the things that we choose to do aren't going to be as scalable as a Silicon Valley style or a startup, you know, our typical Venture-backed startup would be required or understood to do. Yeah. What are your thoughts about like scaling? <clears throat> let's say i would be happy. Like you know, honestly, I've told this, this to you guys before, but you know, I'm doing this business in Goodberry, and I'm I'm, I'm glad with Goodberry just being good enough that it actually delivers values to um, a, a large number of customers. And I don't have to necessarily make you know a bazillion dollars off of this. I just need to make sure that my fi- family's first being taken care taken care of. And our employees and, and our team is being taken care of. But beyond that, like, what else do you really need? Now, I think it could grow, and I think there's potential there. But for the most part, I'd be happy with just a cash flow positive company that, you know, pays for everybody's payroll. Let's yeah. start there. Right? Yeah, no, that?
1: I, I like that, John. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that we've tried to build with our company is something that um, we, we haven't taken any investment money, and it's not to say that we couldn't, or maybe someday we won't, but that's been one of the things that's held us back from that, is knowing that then we have a certain expectation for returns that we have to make, where we're really pretty happy with just building a company that's cash flow positive, that yeah. um, is able to pay for a, a decent staff, um, and, right. and, and it throws back some good returns for us as, as partners, so... Um, we just haven't seen the reason to really grow it to that ridiculous level, that that much larger level that maybe we could do with venture capital money, but we're, I guess, happy with um, what we've been able to build bootstrapped and there's, not having that extra pressure, I yeah. guess.
0: I mean, there's so much freedom that you just kind of trade off. It's almost like making a deal with the devil in many ways, just because you get all these resources that can, quote unquote, accelerate your growth and... But really, do you really want to do that? Is is it's so many companies I think lose so much of who they are as well as lose uh, the what what value as well as wealth generation and the freedom that you've had in a, a something that was good. So it's almost like don't don't break it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if it's working, like don't change it. You know, <laughs> if, if you have a formula that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm I certainly my aspiration isn't to just have. You know, a two three hundred thousand dollar business with a couple employees. I certainly would love to have, you know, a $10 million, $100 hundred million dollar company, because I believe fundamentally that companies have a role in society in being able to solve problems. And there's incentives, and there's certain things that make it really good. And so personally, you know, I'm, I'm a capitalist through and through, and I I believe in this organization institution to do good in in, in society. Not that all companies do that, but. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, it doesn't have to be you
2: know, Google. I don't necessarily need a Yahoo. Um, but anyways, Ian, you want yeah, to? I think I think it's value, right? I mean, and that's that's where it all comes back around to for me. and probably for us too. Um, I think there's a flip side to the to the coin. Like I think that you know one of the things I I was hearing on another another sort of podcast recently, they are talking about how. Sometimes you get into this mode where you're in startup mode and and you're outsourcing a lot of stuff and you're doing it all for cheap and and, and it's and it's working and you're feeling pretty good like you're feeling like yeah you know this is working out and 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 the and, and in actuality um, you're really you're really only <laughs> you're really only good if, if you're gonna live somewhere that's very very like inexpensive to live and you have no family and <laughs> and whatever else and so there's there's you know there's a there's a sort of. Um, uh, uh, a long term look that you have to take i think when you start out in this stuff i think anybody who's smart about doing a startup you you, you see the startup as as a, a tool or a way to generate you know income and revenue and you, hopefully that's going to grow and last for a long time but what is it that you want to do with that like what's the what's the point of it you yeah. know why are you doing it I'm, what's the value right. in it for you for me personally it's it's really about being able to do non work things right yeah <laughs> and and the only way i can do that is if the startup is, is is eventually turns into a company that that runs on its own and doesn't require me to babysit it all the time, and and I that means I'm gonna need a team, so I've got to have something that can grow to be big enough, like you said, Scott, to support a team, mm-hmm. and they got to be smart people. It can't be all automated, you know. It's got to be people who know the business, and I want it to last for a long time because you know maybe maybe I do want it to maybe I want to use it to retire. Maybe I want to be able to have my kids be involved in it at some point if they're interested. Um, so I, I think it's just values. I think you got to pin that stuff down though when you come into it. Um, I think I think it's a, it's good to experiment, and you know your first couple tries. It's the startup thing, and you know, it might just be sort of finding your way. But at a certain point, you know, I think it's important to evaluate what it is you want in the long run. And yeah, I think that that really comes into play when you start talking about okay, is my is my idea scalable? Um, and the other, the other thing that he talks about, uh, Steve, in his article is transitioning into the execution phase and, and moving out of startup phase. Just to clarify,
0: I think searching is about learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about it experimenting and it's about talking and you know, essentially building relationships and figuring out what what it is that's going to work, what is that business model, and discovering that business model and maybe designing it there. But once you've done it, you do want to transition from that phase into execution. execution then the metrics change and this is what I think what he's he's talking about here Mm -hmm. the two metrics are going to be your operating plans and your financial forecast these are the things that are going to be the more important criteria that you're going to account for versus accounting in searching phase or in your startup mode it's going to be all about learning that's um, I think that's where he's making that distinction saying that don't worry about execution so much or those kind of metrics in the beginning mm-hmm. not to say that they're not important. Mm-hmm. sometimes though our Midwest sensibility and it kind of says that you don't get to survive unless you have three months of cash flow coming in immediately within the first month I mean yeah. one of the things I'm so envious about Scott's business is that you know after a few you know once you found that you know kind of channel that made you know that brought in your first sale for you guys where you put in $20 and you got like $100 back that is amazing just finding that is I tell you like that was one of my biggest joys here, I thought, at least, <laughs> with Goodberry, of having found that. But I'm telling you, that's so important to be able to to, to discover what that is, but also then automating and systematizing that. That's
1: I, good. I think it's important early on not to get too frustrated when you aren't maybe necessarily figuring out your business model or making the amount of money that you thought you should be making. And really, the idea of um, accounting... That your accounting that you're doing is based on learning that that's the important currency there. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to remember that, but it's really easy to forget that and just think hey, this isn't working. We're we're burning through money. We need to figure this out quick, especially if you're bootstrapped. Right. Right. So Scott. What's the, what's the fifth point? <clears throat> yep, next point was that customer and agile development are the processes to search and build the model. So this is basically talking about how we actually execute on uh, the, the model that we found. And so the way we do that is we do customer development talk to customers and figure out exactly what we're building. And then the idea of agile development is that we're going to be iterating and doing these very short development cycles so we're able to quickly see, is this working, is this not working, what do we need to change and adjust, rather than the waterfall method of just going through and building this whole thing that we've got spec'd out and we know exactly what we're doing and we don't need to talk to anybody. I think that's very dangerous. And I think one of the things that we, without realizing it with our company early on, we we kind of forced ourselves into uh, doing more of agile development, I had built the, the first version of our website and I was actually, I had it out on the server um, but that was more of just my, my place where I would push things to make sure things were working okay. I figured it wasn't on Google no one's going to find it um, it's, it's just for me <laughs> little did I know that one of my co-founders Paul had uh, posted a link to the website and his blog signature and he had, or his forum signature and he has a huge forum with Thousands and thousands of people looking at it. He ran a, a Matrix fan website, and so suddenly people started hitting the site that wasn't done. Right. <laughs> it was, I would say it was not even an MVP at that point, but um, what, you know, it, it did what it mostly needed to do, except that you couldn't say pay for the product and you know some of those things, some right. of those little details maybe. No. Um, <laughs> But, but what we saw is, well, you know what? <laughs> it looks like what we built is resonating with people. It's something that they want. And then we very quickly started to hear uh, from our customers, once we allowed them to pay us, um, we started to hear from our customers what they actually wanted in the product. And so it it forced me into this, this agile development mode, yeah. which wasn't by design, but I think it was good for us. So I'm just going to take a step back
0: and just, just clarify, agile development is a term used in... Uh, in software development it's a you, you also mentioned waterfall so these are development practices of how you design and build software and so for for agile development I think this also assumes that um, Steve Blank is primarily talking about software based startups right so that's another kind of perspective to kind of keep in mind as you're reading that that his, you know there's some of these automation and scalability that they're also mentioning Largely is really influenced by the dot com boom and and about building software based or you know software as a service based uh, software there. And it there. seems
1: like most software products are more scalable, maybe or easily scalable than right. other types of businesses. So that's where it really fits well.
2: Right. In terms of customer development, I'm curious what happened. Like, what was the kind of feedback, or how did the feedback vary from that group? Of people that saw your site who are not necessarily your target customer, right? Because they it just sort of like happened to come across it right. you know, coincidentally versus like when you actually started picking up real customers and hearing from them. I'm just curious in your niche, like was it, was it similar feedback that you got or was it really different or?
1: Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I'd say early on we didn't do as much customer development before our product was built as we probably should have, but the fact that we got the website out there so quickly um, was, it, it got us real customers very quickly. So within probably a month of starting development. We actually had our first couple customers coming through. And so that's at that point we started to get real feedback, good feedback um, from people who had already purchased from us. And then one of the things we integrated pretty quickly was a survey at the end of the training saying, what did you like? What didn't you like? What would you change about this? Um, And then we saw that they were buying right away and also giving us feedback. So we quickly saw that people wanted video training. They wanted something that was a little bit more in-depth. But they, they liked the speed that they were able to go through it. They liked most of the process. One of the things we started to see is that... And I wouldn't even say that this is something that our customers told us as much as... It was something that we saw the market forcing us into was sending a hard copy card in the mail to people as we started to see hospitals being less likely to accept it when it's a laser printed or inkjet printed card that didn't make them feel secure about taking it and so that's when when we transitioned into you know actually sending cards out to people which you might say that's not as scalable maybe no. as, as being able to print but it was something that we heard loud and clear that if we're going to be successful this is something we have to do and it's not something that we had any intention of doing early on we said no we're not doing this you can print it you've got your own (laughs) printer there's (laughs) no reason we need to send you a card and then by a year or two in we started sending cards out because that's what people wanted and now we're pulling back from that a little bit you know we, we have that ability to do that now that we have a little bit more recognition but early on that's what the market basically was telling us
2: yeah what's interesting is i think that like what kind of illustrated to me in, in that little scenario, where, you know, and I just I'm interested I'm just fascinated by that idea of all those people coming to your site <laughs> who really didn't know anything about your idea and you know sort of gave you some whatever feedback. But I think the interesting thing there is for the customer development point that it's so important to like make sure that you're paying attention to the feedback from people who are like the kind of people who will buy from you not just because you'll get all kinds of noise you know in in the process early on about your idea or or things you've hypothesized about or maybe even about your website aesthetic things and it's just so important I think to kind of like kind of internally validate that a little bit against like okay how closely aligned are these people with my market or the people that I would be selling to and and discard stuff that's not this, this you know is, is just aesthetic or like, you know, and this is coming from the design guy, right? <laughs> but but it's basic, that basic usability thing around like knowing your market, knowing your audience, and making sure that your customer feedback is actually potential customer feedback, not right.
1: just noise. <laughs> yeah, everyone has opinions, but if they're not the type of person who would buy from you, then it's, it's, you definitely do have to discount it, I think, mm-hmm. or at least filter it out. Yeah, hmm. definitely. And then the last point that we're gonna talk about from Steve's article, uh, was that product management is the process for executing the model um, product management is, is a, a style of managing
0: the process of developing new products so yeah. there's the whole it's kind of like project management there's a whole kind of theory in school and different practices all around how do you do product development mm-hmm. and product management and that's um, a very heavyweight process that ensures quality as well as consistency and ensures that you're continuing to sur- you know, build products that the customers are looking for. But it does definitely also assume that you have you know, a successful product that, that is meeting the needs of the market and is, it has customers that you're essentially building against. Mm-hmm. When you're starting out, you really don't, you can't, aff- one, afford to have that kind of level of, of process in place and following through is something that is not as important or critical, I think, in, in the process as you're searching for a business model. But once you're in the execution mode, you know, I, I still personally believe that agile development offers a lot of value to continue doing that mm-hmm. style of development, even when you're in the execution model. And so I guess I'm disagreeing with him on that. <laughs> but uh, this this kind of sensibility or this kind of notion that in your execution mode, you know, using processes and... and um, you know, methodologies that are a little more geared towards taking existing solution and incrementally improving that. That, I think, is a, there's, there's some value to thinking from that perspective.
1: One thing I think that we've seen, especially as we've been executing for a while now on our, our core business model, is that you do have to be a little careful um, not to just implement every suggestion that you get. I mean, early on it's important to listen to customers and obviously do what they're asking. And and it's not that it becomes less important over time, but it's more that I think you have to be a little bit more selective. Mm -hmm. We definitely have no shortage of suggestions from people about every last thing we should change. And there are a lot of things that are in complete conflict with each other where just because you see a handful of people saying that you should make this change where you now have to double-click on an answer because they accidentally are single-clicking with their trackpad. And so, okay, we're going to change our website to make people double-click to respond to questions. That You have to look at what people are saying and, and then decide whether it's something that should actually make it into the product. But without somebody really overseeing that and thinking about what the implications are going to be, you could end up with a really Frankenstein-type product if right. you just implement everything. I, I, go ahead. Oh, I was
2: just going to say. I mean, John, from your perspective, because you've you you've done different product launches before, and obviously you've you've iterated. I know I know just enough about some of the stuff you've done to know that you know pivoting has been part of the process for you. But I, I w- I'm wondering, like, you know, how do you how do you determine what part of executing your process like how to separate out executing your process which is your business model from the product that you're building right because sometimes you might find that the product itself is is actually heading in a very different direction than like you know where you where you maybe originally intended it um, and I, and I'm just wondering from your experience you know what has it been like to know the process well enough to be able to make the product feature change or to make the product focus change, um, separating those two out.
0: hmm,
2: It's an interesting question. I think um, I'd say that
0: even if your product does change, unless your business model changes, changed, that's a very minor change in your business, honestly. I mean, adding new features and that's a big distinction right because some right. people think it about it as the product as their company right and that's I think very important is that you know you, we all know that our business isn't just that one product it's going to be multiple different facets to your product such as revenue streams customer, the customer segments your channels any one of those components changing changes your business model but a feature in your business in your product most likely unless it's a completely separate product mm-hmm. literally has to be a different product before it it begins to potentially affecting, getting a different type of customer, being able to cha- change a, or charging a different way, maybe even having to be in different places so that they can find your product, those things are they're 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 different in scale pretty much. I mean, so I, I don't for product management it's very much a it's a comprehensive view of kind of seeing how you build your product. So it's like they're they're saying okay we have an existing product. We have deadlines now, we have schedules, release schedules, we have certain process for managing that. We have also certain goals that, that we need to align with the marketing team, with the business units and the mm-hmm. overall strategy of the company and it becomes like this whole behemoth process of moving this product forward and you do need it when you get to a certain, certain scale as well as a certain type of product. but the most part in the beginning like you know like i i i don't really worry about how the product changes in the beginning like even customer support or uh, a lot of the processes that you put into place you know those really shouldn't be so in place first of all it should be very fluid when you're starting out and um and when when you're ready to start putting some of these things in it's to lessen whatever pain you're experiencing more than anything else mm-hmm. so you know we do order fulfillment so when somebody places an order you know, we literally will go to another website and we'll manually enter it into for now Mm -hmm. because our volume of people ordering just doesn't warn us to automating that thing. And that process is going to change, and we know, but we believe, you know, obviously people are smart enough to be able to handle those diverse situations. So um, I I I hope that answers the question. I'm not quite sure if I got the question right. um, even. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For a complete transcript of this episode or to find previous episodes, visit our website at businessdesignpodcast.com. Have a question or comment? Email us at questions at businessdesignpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Business Design Podcast and follow us on Twitter for updates between episodes.